Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Y'all ready for something new? Y'all ready to start a new series? We're going to start a new series, and I'm excited for this series. Uh, This morning, we're going to start a series where we're preaching through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we're preaching through that, and the theme for this sermon and this series is going to be Christian living in an everyday world. Christian living in an everyday world. And how this came about is that there's many of us that are, just like the gospel and race conversation when we brought in the topic of immigration, many of us are asking the questions of what does it look like for me to live in a world like today? How do I navigate this world and what's happening around me? How do I live as a Christian and has, how God has called me today? How do I live in a world as a Christian with all these things that are happening around me and still keep my eyes on heaven? How do I do that? How should I treat others? What does the Bible say about sex? What does it say about marriage? What does it say about divorce? What does it say about relationships, lying, cheating, oaths? On down the line, the golden rule, what does it say about these? These are questions that we're all asking. How should I live my life? And these are things that we're going to jump into as we walk through this series. We're going to cover a lot more than that. Again, family, the theme is Christian living in an everyday world, or in short, Christian ethics. So we're going to walk through this this series, and I'm I'm excited for it. And, and, And hear me, this is not just for the Christian. It's not just for the Christian. You may be here, and this is... Maybe not only your first Sunday here at Renewal, but this might be your first Sunday at church, period. This may be your first Sunday back to church in a very long time. And I want to tell you, this is a place for you. This is a place for you, and I'm glad you're here. And the Sermon on the Mount, this series right here, is, is very prevalent and important for everyone. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount has been used and referenced by many philosophers and activists from from many different non-Christian perspectives who refuse to worship Jesus, okay? But nevertheless, they have admired his ethic. In fact, a man that we all know, some of us have probably studied in school, some that we've read books on, Mohandas Gandhi. Y'all know, y'all heard of Gandhi? No? Y'all heard of Gandhi? Yeah, Gandhi. Gandhi was this sermon's most famous non-Christian devotee. You know what that means? That means he tried to live his life based off of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Gandhi. He tried to live his life based off of Jesus' words here. So again, this series, Hear Me Family, is both for the Christian and the non-Christian. And here's the truth. I would venture to say if we're here in church today, we either are here trying to learn how do I live more as a Christian? How do, how do I live as God has called me to live? Or we're just curious about the faith. We're curious about Christianity. We have questions that need to be answered. This is a place for you. We're all here wanting to know more about Christianity one way or another, or I would say we probably would not be here. Or maybe, maybe you're like, no, nah, that's not me, Pastor D. That's not, that's not me. Maybe you like Gandhi. Maybe you like Gandhi. Like, I, I want to live a great moral life. I want to be an awesome human being. I, I just want to know moral rules and, and, and how should I live? Well, here's the truth. Like Gandhi, in order to understand how to live and be a truly good person, one has to encounter the only true and perfect one, Jesus. 
We can't just read about him. My desire is that we would grow to know him, that we would come to saving faith. And if we already believe in him, we will grow more in our faith as we live our day-to-day lives. Again, this series is both for the believer and the non-believer, as you'll see in the text today. So go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3 today. I'm not going to read a whole lot, but we got a lot in there. Verses 1 through 3 of Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and open up your Bible or smartphone, whatever you might have. Once you have it, go ahead and stand to your feet as we read and honor the word of God together. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. Starting in verse 1, the text reads, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the very word of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on the topic, the poor spirited person. The poor spirited person. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for today. You're an awesome God. God, I pray that as we walk through this message today, that it would not be me speaking, but you would speak through me so your folks would hear a word from you. Father, have your way in this place. May you be lifted up and glorified today. Hide me behind your cross. God, you're awesome. And we love you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together. Amen, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Let me ask you something. Have you ever felt pretty good about something? I mean, like, like you were, you're, you're, you're great at, like, you were the bomb, 90s reference. Like, you were, you were off the chain. Y'all don't even know what not bomb means. Y'all don't say that anymore. You, you were off the chain. You, you thought you were really good at You ever thought you were really good at something? And then somebody comes along that's better than you, but, but yet they don't, they don't rub it in your face, but they come alongside you and try to be nice about it. And what, what ends up happening is that, that, that you become better by being around. Y'all ever had that happen before? No, nah, I was probably like, no, nah, they just rubbed it in my face and I got mad and I worked a little harder to be better than them. I mean, have y'all ever really been around? It's kind of like being on a team. You're on a team with somebody, and, and, and some of y'all are like, I'm the, it is an I in team for me. I, I, I'm the team, and then you get on the team, and then you have somebody else that's better than you, and when y'all start working together, you're better. You ever had that happen before? The other day, my wife, uh, she had her birthday, my beautiful wife last week, and had her birthday, and we went out salsa dancing. Yeah, y'all, we went salsa dancing. <laughs> We had a good old time, and, um, and my wife can dance, y'all. She can, she can really dance. And, and I'm going to tell y'all this, a secret. I'm going to be honest with y'all. One of the criteria of, of when we started dating in high school, she didn't know this, but when we were in high school, um, one criteria I had was even though she's fine as all, I thought she was amazing, the finest thing walking, I'm like, she has to be able to dance, she got to be able to dance. She got to be able to move the hips. Everything's got to be able to go. It's got to flow right. And in high school, I'm like, you got to be able to dance. And my wife's family's from Belize. They're, they're from the Caribbean, so they can, they can get down on the floor. She, she knows how to dance. They know, they know what to do on the dance floor. And, and, 
And, and you, you can say what you say about me. You're probably like, man, that is so shallow. He says he, she's got to be able to dance this in high school, this and that. Y'all, look, I wasn't saved in high school. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't. So I'm like, you, you better be able to dance. And, and if me, if you knew me in high school, I thought I was the man, y'all. I thought I was the hottest thing moving. I could do what I wanted to, when I wanted to do, with whoever I wanted to, how I wanted to. And I thought I was the baddest dancer on the dance floor, even though all we did was just stand there. You know, I, I thought I was tight. I thought I was great at dancing. So when I walked into the party, I'm like, man, the girl that's with me, she's got to be able to move. Because I can't have her looking, making me look bad, you know? She, she's got to be, don't act like y'all ain't never been there before. <laughs> well, it wasn't until I came to know Jesus and I learned to accept my shortcomings. And that I'm not great at everything. I'm just not. I, 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 can, I can dance. At least I think I can. I can dance, but my wife, she's way better at dancing than me. And it wasn't until, watch this, it wasn't until I accepted this truth that I was able to experience the freedom of being able to be who I am and learn more from her. Don't miss this. It gave me the freedom to move, to dance, to laugh, to have fun while I'm with her because now my soul, soul dancing became amazing because she's amazing on the dance floor. See, what I'm trying to get at is that when I accepted my reality of not being the greatest, didn't mean I wasn't good, I'm just not the greatest. I experienced freedom and I got better because I was with her and not just relying on myself. See, some of y'all are missing this because you're just like me in high school. You think that you're the hottest thing since sliced bread. Your stuff don't stink. I mean, you, you think your crossover is amazing and it's like, it's like the guy on the court, every time you pass him the ball, like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Oh, my gosh, man, he's so horrible. You, you think you could dance, but you got three left feet. You don't have two. You got three left feet. You're tripping over everything. But you still think you're the hottest thing out there. And see, what's happening, family, is that, 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 you're, that your pride is not allowing you to, to face the reality of who you are. You're not able to admit that you're not that good, and then you miss the fact that somebody actually is better than you and how you can benefit from that. So, 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 so what do we do? We see somebody better than us, and what, we, work, we work harder. We put up the facade like, I'm still good. You, you ain't going to know that I'm not bad. I'm, I'm the baddest thing out here. I'm going I'm to I'm fake it till I make it. You know, I, I'm good. But hear me. It's many times in that place of accepting the reality that although I may be good, there's always someone who is better. And, and now, instead of trying to outdo someone else, or be somebody that we're not, we're, we can experience the freedom and blessing of linking up with someone or being with someone who's better than you. And guess what? It doesn't take away from you. It actually asks you. It's like a good marriage. When you link up with the right person, they compliment you. They give to you. You are better than you were before because you're with the right person. But that only happens, hear me, if you accept the reality of where you actually are. This text today says that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is truly trying to get at in this text, don't miss it, is that no matter how good you are, he's not saying you're bad, it's no matter how good you are or how, how good you think you are, we will never measure up, meaning we will never be Jesus, we will never be sinless, we will never be perfect. And when we accept this family, we're able to experience the blessing of salvation and eternity in heaven. You know why? 
Because our lives and everything we have is not solely relying upon what we bring to the table. The question is, are we humble enough to admit our shortcomings? Or are you constantly thinking about how can I do more? How can I be a better person? How can I perfect my craft? Which, and what happens is you never, you're never allowed to experience the blessing of today because you always are looking to tomorrow. You're always wanting more. You're always wanting to be better than where you actually are. And sometimes we never experience the fruit of walking with Jesus because we think too highly of ourselves. We miss him. Hear me, family. Hear me, hear me. You may be a good person. I don't want you to miss this. It's not talking about you being a bad person, poor in spirit. You may be a really good person. You may do great things. But hear me, you will never be as good and as perfect as Jesus. And there is a blessing in accepting that reality. And this text tells us that that blessing is heaven. Are you poor in spirit? Are you poor in spirit? In the context, as we jump into this sermon on the mount, Jesus was just baptized by his distant cousin, John the Baptist. And then in chapter 4, he immediately goes into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan, where he fends for himself, watch this, not by using his divine power of being God in the flesh, but watch this, he, he uses the word of God. He recites the word of God. Now, friends, this is another sermon for another day, but we can't fight Satan. Believers in here, we can't fight Satan and the powers of this world by just trying to outdo him. You can't just outsmart him. You can't just be a better person. He's real. We don't have that in us. And what happens is we will fall over and over and over again. The Bible says that he's prowling around, roaring, and trying to steal, kill, and destroy. We don't have what it takes to fight him on our own. But what we do as a believer family, this is how we fight against the wiles of Satan is full dependence on Jesus as well as knowing, reciting, and memorizing the word of God. I remember the first Bible I had, my mentor, when I was reading it and with him and, and walking through the, the Bible, he, he told me to write in the front cover, he said this, he said these words, he said, the more I read this Bible, the less I will sin. And the less I read this Bible, the more I will sin. The more I read this Bible, the less I will sin. The less I read this Bible, the more I will sin. Again, what, what he's trying to get at is that sin and this world is too much for us to handle on our own. But yet God has been so gracious to give us this word, which the Bible tells us that, that, that it's a weapon. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's living and active. I, I like to say that it's, it's, it's a two-edged sword that, that pierces to the heart of the enemy while at the same time he's molding and shaping ours to make us what he wants us to be. You see, this is a weapon we have here, and this is why we need to walk in it. We need to read it. We need to know it. We need to know this love letter that God has given us. It's for our good. It's for the believer's good. Friends, hear me. Here's the question I have to ask myself when, when folks are like, I don't read the Bible. It's, it's, friends, hear me. If Jesus, if Jesus, who was perfect, sinless, 100% man, 100% God, all at the same time. If he chose to depend on the word of God, then how much more shall we? Just marinate on that a minute. I mean, just think on that. As a Christian, we, we, we have to stay in the word of God. 
chapter 4 moves on, and, and Jesus begins his preaching ministry, and then he calls his first disciples. They begin to walk with him. They're with Jesus. They're hanging out with him. Jesus begins to go throughout Galilee, and as he's going, he begins to heal the sick. He begins to pull demons out of people. He begins to heal the diseased, and what begins to happen is that the work of Jesus and his name, his fame starts to spread throughout the nations, all throughout Syria. In verse 24, it tells us that People began to bring folks with diseases, more people, diseases and demon possession, all of this to Jesus. And you guess what? Jesus is healing all of them. He's pulling demons out. Jesus is doing all of these things. So what happens now as a result is that people begin to follow him. You want to know about this Jesus and people not only in Galilee, but the text tells us that, that, that in chapter four, that people from the Decapolis, which is a Roman district. They start following, following Jesus, which meant that at the beginning of Jesus, his ministry, it wasn't only Jews that followed Jesus. Don't miss this. He was bringing together people from all different types of nations at the beginning of his ministry. Don't miss this. Jesus' ministry has always been multicultural and multi-ethnic from the beginning of his ministry. So when he looks at our church, when we look at this, we say it's an anomaly, but this is not an anomaly to Jesus. This is what he wants the church to look like. That's what his ministry was looking like, people coming from all over the place. Friends, hear me. The word of Jesus and what he was doing was spreading all throughout the land to Judea, Jerusalem, and beyond the Jordan, it says. People wanted to see and know about this Jesus. Now, this is all important. It's important to note because as we get into this passage, we see in verse 1 that it says that Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountaintop, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and in verse 2, it says that he started to open his mouth, and he started to speak. He started to teach. Now, hear me. It can be really easy to miss what's actually happening here in the text. Instead, starting to think that, well, Jesus went up there on the mountaintop because he wanted to get away from all the crowds. He wanted to get away from all the people. But that's not true. He, he, you, you may be thinking, oh, he, may, he just wanted to get along with his disciples. No, no, Jesus was going to the mountaintop for a reason. And you got to know a little bit about this, this, this mountain. This was very strategic of Jesus. Theologians note that, that the traditional site of this northeast shore of Galilee, known as the Mount of Beatitudes, which Jesus is about to walk through, he gave such great acoustics that, that one could address a large crowd sitting in, 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 a, in a plateau in the hills overlooking the lakeshore. It probably was awesome and beautiful to be there. And when he speaks, thousands could hear him at the same time. Maybe, maybe you're not getting that. How many mountain climbers have we got in here? We got a couple. I'm, I'm a black dude from Gary. I don't climb mountains. I had a little too much excitement in, my, in, my, in the hood. You know, I don't, I don't need to get scared falling off mountains. But, but, but how many mountain climbers we got here? I know I see you, Deb. I see you back there. Yeah, yeah. Mountain climbers. I see you too. Mountain climbers out here. That, it's like climbing a mountain. You get to the top of the mountain and you start screaming, Ali, Ali, oxen free. Ali, Ali, oxen free. And it just, it just starts going throughout the whole mountain, just ringing out. It's, it's echoing throughout the mountain, sound bouncing everywhere. Now, you wouldn't do this on a snow-capped mountain because you might get an avalanche or something like that. You don't want to do that. But this is Jesus. He, he's standing up there, and he's, he's starting to talk. You don't even have to yell because his voice is starting to travel throughout while it's bouncing off of everything around him. 
He's sitting up there and he's teaching them of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, a disciple, it, it, it's, it, or should we say, being a Christian living in today's everyday life. It, it, it's, it's what does it mean to be a true disciple? So this is what he's doing. Now, again, although this is really pointing to the disciples, don't miss this. Maybe you missed it. There's many others, others there that don't know Jesus don't believe in him, aren't really following him. They just heard about him. And Jesus knows this, but yet he still keeps going on and shares his message because he wants everybody to hear. Jesus jumps right in in verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, verse 3 begins what's called the Beatitudes. Anybody heard of the Beatitudes? It's what begins what's called the Beatitudes, which comes from the Latin word beatus. It, it, it means blessed. It, it means happy. See, these short statements summarize the whole essence of the Sermon on the Mount through chapters 5 all the way through 7. Now, now, now what you notice, though, as you're reading this, you keep reading through the Beatitudes from verse 3 on. You see the next eight statements, they begin with the word Blessed. Begins with the word blessed. So what that means is that we must pay attention to this word blessed. Whenever it's repeated, there's something that Jesus is trying to get across. We have to pay attention to this word blessed. And see, many times what happens is we misconstrue the meaning of the word blessed. And we say God's going to open up the heavens and he's going to pour me out a blessing and my cup is going to run it over in my King James Version voice. See, see we, we, we think of that as the blessing. We think of that, what, what God is going to do. And I'm not saying that God can't bless you. He can't give you good things. He can't do this and that. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to. If he chooses to give you something, he can do it. But what I'm really trying to get at, I don't want you to miss this, is that when it comes to being blessed, blessed, this word right here, the Christian or the believer is already blessed in Jesus. So what this means is that being blessed is more of a state of being than it is you actually receiving something all the time. It's not necessarily about you. You're blessed in what Jesus has done for you. Hear me. As a Christian, this is the truth. If, if I gain nothing else in this world, nothing else, but yet I still have the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I don't need anything else. I'm good with just that. If I gain nothing else, I'm good with that because this world and everything in it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's, it's going all the way. But yet, this is not my home. My home is in heaven. So if all I have is Jesus, I'm good. Therefore, I don't have to yearn for more here on this earth. The believer doesn't have to walk around with their head hung low because, because things didn't go their way. Because heaven is where home is. It's like the old hymn. If y'all remember, you maybe read this or, 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 or sang it growing up. It's take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. I don't need anything else, just Jesus. So family, I don't want you to see this word blessed and miss what Jesus is saying here. Being blessed is more than a temporary or circumstantial feeling of happiness. This is a state of well-being in relationship to God that belongs to those who respond to Jesus' ministry. Don't miss this, or you will miss what he's really trying to convey throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. Now, friends, before we go any further, 
You got to notice in verse 3 and verse 10 that they're a little different. I know I didn't read through it all, but you got your Bibles open, right? If you look at verse 3 and verse 10, they read a little different than the rest of the Beatitudes, like in verse 4 or verse 5. Look at it with me. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall, key word, shall, they shall be comforted. And then it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit, inherit the earth. You see that word shall? That, that's, that's future. That they, they shall inherit. But when you get to verse 3 and verse 10, it says there's is, present tense, there's is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what this lets us know is that God blesses us both now and not yet. That means we can receive rewards and things right now in this earth, the pre- his presence, the fulfillment of being with Jesus right now, but yet there's more to come. What this also means is that sometimes, family, we won't experience everything that we're supposed to experience or we think we should experience here on this earth. Most of what is to come is coming in the coming age for the believer. It's a now and not yet. Does that make sense? Now, now family, this goes back to what, I, what, I, what, I, what I'm saying, what I've been saying from the beginning. So hear me. Believer here, don't hang your hat on anything in this world. Or set your sights on just achieving or trying to be the best you can be. Because here's the reality. This world and everything in it is going down. Abandon ship. Now, now, now hear me. I'm not trying to be morbid or, or down or anything. The Bible tells me this. But, but it's not getting any better. And it won't truthfully get better until we see Jesus face to face. Because even if things get better, let me, let me say, even if things get better, maybe everything in your life goes well. Maybe you achieve all the things you want to achieve. Maybe you have the marriage you want to have. Maybe your family is amazing. Everything in your life is going just great. It's exactly what you want it to be. You know there's one thing that won't get better? You know one thing that won't change in this world? That's the presence of sin. The presence of sin is not going away from this world right now until Jesus comes back, which means, family, hear me, that there's always going to be sadness, there's always going to be corruption, there's always going to be murder, there's always going to be some sort of prejudice. Hear me, there will always be problems because sin exists, this innate nature to rebel against the things of God and go the way that we want to go instead of the way he's called us to go. But friends, when we get to heaven, those of us that believe will be free from the very presence of sin. When Jesus died, he, he died and, and he took the sins to the grave. He, he freed us from the penalty of sin and the, and the power of sin if we reside in him. But when we get to heaven, we're free from the very presence of sin. Y'all, I get excited about that because that's something to look forward to. That, that's something to look forward to because all the mess that's going on around me, if I don't look forward to that, if I don't continually think about what's happening around me, I will walk around with my head held low thinking about how bad things are in my life and thinking about how bad things are around me, family. But when I think about what's ahead of me, the text tells me that I'm blessed now, but also not yet. Meaning that in order to truthfully experience the blessing of being saved by Jesus right now in the midst of all the craziness, I got to keep my eyes continually pointed upward. To keep my eyes continually pointed on someone who's greater. Got to keep my eyes pointed and, and continually looking at Jesus and what is to come. Because when I think about that, when I read the Bible, when I read Revelations at the end, it tells me there's no sadness. 
There's no tears. There's no corruption. There's no murder. There's no politics. Just straight peace between man and God. Heaven is where home is. See, the text tells me that blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's something to look forward to. Now, I know you're still sitting there and you're saying, well, okay, Pastor B, that's great. You talked about that, but what is, you still haven't talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. What does that mean? I mean, so, so let's break this down a bit. Being poor in the spirit does not refer to you not having enough money. It, does, it doesn't refer to you having little faith or poor faith, but instead it points to the fact that apart from Christ, don't miss this, we're spiritually bankrupt. In other words, we don't have what we need. We're spiritually powerless apart from Christ. Remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I, we finished walking through the I am statements where, where Jesus is authoritatively saying, I am God, I am for my people. And we talked about that last one in John 15 where he says, I am the vine. Jesus talks about being the vine and we're, we're the branches and we need to abide in him. He says these words in John 15 verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, here it is, you can do nothing. See, what Jesus is trying to get at in John 15, as well as verse 3 of our text today, is that there has to be this acknowledgement of powerlessness apart from Christ. I don't have what it takes. Hear me, in order to truly inherit the kingdom of heaven and be saved, one has to understand their need for Christ. Not just one time, but every day of your life. It's like in Isaiah 6. We've talked about this many times. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in our vision series sermon. When we come in contact with an almighty God and we see how majestic we, he is, we, we see how high and lift up, lifted up he is, we, we see how sinless he is, we see how powerful he is, the only response we have, it's not, it's not I can do more, I can be a better person, God, I won't do this anymore, I promise I won't do it. It's woe is me. It's woe is me. Now, now hear me. Don't miss this. It's not a woe is me as in saying, I, I'm so messed up. I, I'm just horrible, this and that. I promise to do better. See, that's just false humility. And at the end of the day, that's still pride because you're still focusing on how can I be a better person. It's all about you. It's not about him. But see, instead, what happens when we truly it experienced the holiness and the, the sinlessness of God, and we see him in, 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 his, in the midst of all he is, and for all he is, when we see him, family, we, we actually see how good we're not. Because we, we don't measure up. We see how amazing he is, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm horrible because he's so amazing. It's not that I wasn't good, it's that he's so amazing. We see that we're truly nothing. So, so we can only respond with woe is me because we're grateful to be in his presence. Some of y'all still didn't get that. So let me, let me put it this way. How many of y'all remember being in middle school? Some of y'all like, bang. Middle school. I, I remember being in middle school. I had some good days, sometimes the hard days. In middle school, I was on a baseball team there and I remember after practice one day, our coach took us out to get some food, and we went to Subway. And we're sitting there, and we're eating food, and we're having an awesome time. We're eating our subs. We're having a good old time just joking, laughing, and playing. And then in walks Marvin Harrison. 
Hall of Fame, I mean, wide receiver of the Indianapolis Colts, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Do you see who that is, y'all? I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and y'all got to understand a little bit about me, CC. I, me and Marvin Harrison, we played the same position. He's a wide receiver. I'm a wide out. And, and I, in middle school, I was this highly touted recruit, and people wanted me at their school. And I ended up being an all-state, all-American, wouldn't play, wouldn't play college football, ended up getting hurt, and then I followed Jesus. All of that, I, I'm seeing this, this man walk in, and I'm like, yo, that's Marvin Harrison. That, I mean, to me, that's, that's one of my heroes. I see him. I mimic the way I played off of this guy. He wasn't the tallest guy. He wasn't the strongest. I wouldn't even say that he was the fastest, but you know what he did, right? He always ran his routes, right? And most of all, he caught the ball every time it was thrown to him. Marvin Harrison was dependable. So here's the thing. When, when, I, when I saw my, my hero in middle school, my jaw just dropped like, oh, I can't talk. That, that, Marvin Harrison. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to eat my chicken, bacon, and ranch sub, you know, because in middle school you only eat the one with ranch or I'm trying to eat the, the middle. Y'all didn't grow up like me. You eat the, you eat the ranch sub and you, you're trying to eat this. And, and I'm like hitting my jaw the whole time because I, I can't find my mouth because I see Marvin Harrison in front of me. And then the, the ranch is dripping all over my clothes. It's nasty and stuff. And people are like, Derek, wake up, wake up. I'm like, do you know who that is? It's Marvin Harrison. That's, that, that's, that's Marvin Harrison. And family, here's the thing. When I saw him, I felt like nothing in his mist. Because that's Marvin Harrison. Not because I wasn't a good receiver. I was a pretty good receiver, but, 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 but he's much better than I am. And he was on a whole other level that I couldn't even fathom being on playing in the NFL. See, see, when I saw him, my little accolades and everything I had done became minuscule next to him. Some of y'all still missing this. See, Marvin, although he's not God, let me say it again. When I saw him, I felt like I was nothing compared to him. Because his achievements compared to who I am, it made it nothing. You see, 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 yeah, it's not because I didn't think highly of myself. I thought I was amazing. I thought I was great. I thought I would one day be there, but I wasn't there. So when I saw him in the midst of him, my greatness became like nothing. Y'all hear me? And even, it's even more so when we come face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we embrace who he is, all Jesus has done on the cross for us, God in the flesh coming down out of heaven and dying on the cross for us, dying for sins that we committed, taking those sins to the grave, rising from the grave three days later with power in his hands and then extending eternal life to people who were undeserving. We are deserving of hell, but yet he says, I want you, come to me, believe in me, here's eternal life if you believe. I mean, when when we really experience uh, or understand the goodness of Jesus, the only thing we can say is, woe is me. Not because you're not a good person, not because you didn't bring anything to the table, because there's nothing in us that is close to being on the level of Jesus. None of us in here are sin, sinless. None of us in here are perfect. God didn't call on us and go, go to the cross. No, no, he said, Jesus, you go do this. Which causes one to turn when you really experience that. Turn in belief in Jesus because you realize that Jesus embodies and has everything that you need and want. Okay, some of y'all don't believe me. Happiness. When I read my Bible, I see that there's, there's no happiness on this earth that's going to compare to what's going to be in heaven. 
sadness, it says in Revelations that Jesus will wipe away every tear. Trials and tribulations. Well, Romans 8 tells me that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who's loved me. Who, 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 who shall come against me? Money? Okay, well, it says that God created everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. He owns it all. He gives to us so we can steward well. It's his. It's not ours. Friends, I could keep going on, but there's nothing that we can have in this world that's not already offered in Jesus. And guess what? The big difference between what we can experience here, the big difference is that this verse lets us know, verse 3, is that when we experience our, or understand our futility apart from Jesus, or that we're poor in the spirit, Jesus tells us in this verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that unlike the fulfillment we can experience or obtain here on this earth, that's here today, and then it's gone tomorrow, we get to experience fulfillment in Jesus today, but then tomorrow and on after that into eternity, we get more. It doesn't run out. That's good news. And see, here's the thing. As we end today, some of us walked in here. We sat down saying that, Pastor, why, why would God want anything to do with me? I'm too jacked up. I'm too messed up. You may be sitting there, maybe believer or not, you may be saying, I, I messed up last night. I did something I shouldn't have done. God doesn't want me. When you think of God, you're looking at God and you're thinking, Man, God, God, God looks at me in disgust. He's looking down at me and he's shaking his head like, I cannot believe you did this. I can't believe you didn't make it to where I wanted you to go. I can't believe that you didn't add up. I, I can't believe that you didn't achieve all these things. You think that God is thinking those things. You're thinking I got to do more because I, I got to prove it to him and I got to prove it to everybody else. I'm not adding up. You may be thinking that God would just run the other way if he actually came face to face with you. But why would he want anything to do with me? And friends, hear me. The freeing truth about the gospel is that all of these things may be true. You may not add up. You, you may be subpar according to your standards. You, you, may be, you may feel powerless. You may not have what it takes. The freeing truth about that is that ultimately when it comes down to it, we will never have what it takes. We will always be inadequate because if we had what it took, then God wouldn't have had to send Jesus. But he did. And Jesus became the sinless lamb who took away the sins of the world for us. So here's my word. To you, both, both believers as well as non-believers in here, we got to stop trying to be our own saviors and acknowledge your inadequacy. Not that you're not good, but that you'll never be as good or perfect as Jesus and say, woe is me. Because this passage tells us that when we come to this place, this poor spirited person, he says that for them, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Friends, it's in that humble place that the Christian must never leave. We're going to have to battle the pride of life while on this earth, but we must never forget that if we had everything it took, then Jesus would have never had to come. Family, for me, honestly, it's my sin, the presence of sin in this world, 
and my inability to, to be as great as I want to be by myself that keeps me on my knees, keeps me praying to an almighty, awesome God who loved me and saved me. Friends, let me ask you, won't you acknowledge your need for a Savior with me? Won't you do that today and then continue to do so for the rest of your life? It's an everyday thing. That, that, that's what this text is talking about when it says being poor in spirit. It's not that you're not good. It's just that we're not as good and perfect as him. But the good news of that is that he left heaven to come to us so that we can be just like him if we believe. That's good news. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this good morning with everyone. God, I do pray that you would just intervene in our hearts right now. God, that we would turn to you, turn away from self and all the things we think we should do or could be doing by ourselves without your help and without you, Jesus. And God, I pray that we would just call out to you. Father, we need you. We want you. We realize we don't have what it takes, God. And Father, I ask that you would just intervene and be with us not only today but forevermore. And that we would be a people that's quick to repent quick to turn from our ways and turn to believe in you over and over again every day until we meet you face to face. God, you said blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, God, and we look forward to that day. But until then, God, we are, we are going to rely on you. So, Father, I pray if there's anybody in here that's saying, that's me, I need to rely on Jesus, I need to call on his name. God, I pray that they would do so right now, that they would accept you as Lord and Savior, that they would believe right now in you, Jesus, that people wouldn't leave here the same way they walked in because of you. Father, you're good. We love you, and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh -huh.